Welcome to this, the third presidential podcast for the Academy of Psychosomatic Medicine. I'm Bob Boland, your president for this year. It's hard to believe, but it has already been about two months since many of us were together for the annual meeting. Annual meetings serve many purposes. They're a time to reconnect with old friends and meet new ones. They are also, of course, a chance to learn what is happening in our field. And I think we should all take pride in the fact that our organization can so consistently put on such a high-quality educational meeting. This is possible because many of us work very hard to make the meeting a success, and no one works harder than the program chair. This past meeting, that person was Jeff Huffman. I thought a good time to talk with Jeff and get his thoughts about the meeting. Like all of us, Jeff has a day job. He is the director of the Cardiac Psychiatry Research Program at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. He is on Harvard faculty and is well known for being both a successful researcher and an outstanding teacher. I called him at his lab and asked him to take a quick break from that job and reflect on what was an amazing meeting. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Can you remind me what the exact name was of, of your meeting? Yeah, Brain, Mind, and Body, What Every Psychosomatic Medicine Psychiatrist Should Know About Neuroscience. So can you tell us a little bit about how uh, you and Steve decided on that theme and you know what, what about it was compelling to you? Yeah, it was really Steve's brainchild. And I think it really comes from the idea that clinicians in psychosomatic medicine are always dealing with disorders of the brain, whether it's depression, whether it's delirium, whether it's functional movement disorders, the brain is deeply... Uh, involved and integrated in everything we do. And uh, one of the ways I feel like we can best help our patients and uh, liaise with other clinicians is to know a lot about the brain and about neuroscience and to really be experts in the organ with which we work the most, the brain. Um, and so this really seems like a nice way to highlight both what was new in terms of how, what we know about the brain and how our knowledge of the brain interfaces with psychosomatic medicine. But it also gave us a chance to teach each other through all our symposia and workshops about uh, neuroscience and what we know about the brain. The meeting certainly accomplished that, but can you tell us a little bit about your selection of the plenary speakers and what you're hoping to get from them? Yeah, we really wanted to get kind of a sprinkling of different perspectives about the brain and so Andy Miller talked about how neuroinflammation, cytokines associated with the brain and really across the body and how those kind of neuropsychiatric signals uh, that go on throughout our bodies all the time and, and are mediated through our brain have an important relationship with our mood and neurocognitive function. And I thought he did a really nice job of talking about the evidence through which uh, inflammation and depression in particular seem to be so closely correlated. With Stuart Udofsky, we were really hoping to have somebody who had spent many, 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 many years thinking about neuropsychiatric disorders, people with brain injuries, people with other kinds of really substantial brain injuries and illnesses, and what his practical approach was to uh, managing patients with these real neuropsychiatric problems and to sort of give practical pearls from his many years of experience. And then Mark Hallett from the NIH gave us I think, a window into the way in which neuroscience and the relationship between neuroscience and psychosomatic medicine is moving by talking about brain imaging studies of these patients with functional movement disorders and really reminding us that, hey, you know, it's not just people are making up their symptoms or people are not having quote-unquote true symptoms, but there's something neurologic, brain-related really going on in these patients who have quote-unquote supertentorial or psychogenic uh, conditions. These, these two are brain disorders, and I thought he did a really nice job of that. So I really hope to 
give people kind of a nice little menu of everything from inflammation to brain imaging to practical pearls across the spectrum with our plenary speakers. Outside of the speakers, were there any highlights for you? One of the real highlights for me was our tentative steps to becoming more innovative as a meeting. Um, I'd really hope that we could start to use some of the principles of adult learning theory, particularly with regard to interactive sessions and some of our use of the audience response system and some of the interactive debates that we had. And it was really exciting to see those take flight. We didn't know to what degree members and people who were presenting abstracts de novo would be into this sort of thing, but at least half of our symposium workshops had some component of audience interactivity. Lots of people either brought in audience questions and several used, with varying success, our our new audience response system that we piloted this year. And when it worked, it worked great to be able to have audience members in real time give lecturers feedback about either what they learned or what their experience was and then have the lecturer in real time then sort of modify their content was really cool and really exciting. The culmination of this was at our plenary debate on the last day of the symposium where Ted Stern and Jose Maldonado debated some controversial topics. And that was fun because it was interactive in that sense, but also with the real-time audience response system, people could vote about who they believed more or you know, what they thought was sort of the more compelling argument. And it really gave it a much more participatory feel. People were cheering or people were groaning as they saw the things go up on the audience response system. And it really made it feel much more like a participatory symposium rather than a, a plenary session where you people just sit there and passively take in content. It came out fantastically. Were there any surprises for you, you know, things that happened differently than you planned? Yeah, I think one thing that was a surprise that I think was a good learning experience for us and, and hopefully for you for the following year's meeting is just a reminder to go slow with new innovations. I think it's really important to innovate and at the same time, especially when doing things that are quite new and or using technology like our audience response system. Sometimes it worked great. Other times it just didn't quite take off. And so, you know, trying things with a small number of sessions and really being prepared with a plan B. Anytime you start with something new felt like really important lessons learned because I think I was surprised at the degree to which we had little minor glitches that seemed to throw us off in a couple of the sessions. For members, every year it seems to get more competitive to get a workshop. I don't know what the uh, acceptance rate was this year. It was probably very competitive, though. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Can Any insight as to the process and maybe some advice for people who want to submit in the future? Yeah, I think it sort of seems obvious, but crafting a really high-quality abstract is the way and kind of the only way to get something accepted. Whether or not you're part of a SIG, whether or not you had another member or member of the program committee sort of say, hey, you should really submit this kind of work, think it would be really well accepted. What actually happens in the process is that a couple members of the program committee read abstracts, and every single abstract is read by a couple of people, and they assign a score. And the score that they assign, they're reading through tens and tens of these abstracts, really has to do with how professional, how compelling, how really high quality the abstract looks. And so taking the time to create an abstract that 
is just as good as it possibly can be, having lots of people read it beforehand, having making sure that it really sounds the best face of what you plan to present is just so important because it's really, you know, those 30 seconds or that minute or however long it takes that person to read the abstract is really the only basis by which that person is going to sign a score to that abstract, which will ultimately decide whether it's accepted or not. So um, I think just giving yourself a lot of time to create an abstract actually you know, having a few people read the abstract, really thinking through that it, it sounds good, it sounds compelling, it would be something that other APM members would want to see. I mean, that's the other thing to keep in mind is that the people who are grading the abstracts are also APM members. And so if they see something where they think, wow, I would love to see this, they're much more likely to assign a high score. And I guess the last piece of advice, in addition to just spending a lot of time on the abstract and thinking about the audience is also to weave in whenever possible the theme of the meeting. It's not mandatory by any means, but submissions that are able to utilize the theme of the meeting, oh, it seems to do a little bit better. For me, I thought it was an, an absolutely fantastic meeting, and I think you set a real high bar for this. Really appreciate all the work that you, Steve, and your committee put into you know, putting together such a great meeting. So thank you very much. Thanks, Bob. I know you and Lisa are going to put together a great meeting, and uh, we're just really excited to see what happens. All right. Thanks a lot.